This is a CBC podcast. This is so heartbreaking. Like we're people too, and they don't realize. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman, and this is Edmonton, a local podcast from CBC News. If you've checked out our site recently, you've probably seen a headline about encampments. It's not solely an us problem, but our issues in housing and homelessness have made national headlines. So what happened and where are we now? I sat down for a debrief of sorts with Wallace Snowden and Paige Parsons, two of the reporters from our newsroom that have been covering this story for the last few weeks and reporting on these issues for years in Edmonton. Hey, guys. Hi, Claire. Hey. Uh, This issue is really broad. But from your very experienced at this point perspectives, when did this most recent aspect of it kick off? So back in August of 2023, the the court aspect got started. And what happened was a, a group, uh, they got together, they're called the Coalition for Justice and Human Rights, and they decided that they wanted to help represent the interests of people who live in encampments, people who are homeless. And so they filed a court challenge. Um, and ideally, what they would have liked to be able to do was go to trial and argue that the city's policy of taking down um, encampments, taking down homeless encampments is unconstitutional, that taking away people's property, like when they take away the, they often end up throwing a lot of stuff in the garbage, tents, um, you know, what, whatever people have. And so they were, they were saying, you know, that should be illegal. Like, this is unconstitutional. These people have nowhere to go. And, and they argue that there isn't enough shelter space for these people. So you're basically taking away their only option. Right. But as the court system tends to do, it, like, things move slowly, right? So we yeah. heard that the challenge gets filed. Um, they wanted it to be heard right away before winter started, but it wasn't. And so then things just kind of carried on, normal Edmonton fall. Well, not normal, actually. It was warm. It was really warm. So uh, it, things, people were doing okay outside. And then in December, when we knew the cold weather was coming, suddenly um, myself and I'm sure some other journalists started getting information that Edmonton police actually had let a lot of the groups that work with the homeless population know that they were going to do a big camp removal operation. They were going to take down eight specific camps um, around the center of Edmonton. And the coalition, as well as a bunch of other homeless agencies, were really alarmed by this. They said it was like unprecedented, massive scale. So they'd been trying to get into court to get a get a pause on camp removals um, anyways. And that was set to be heard last month or this month in January. Um, But they ended up getting an emergency court hearing and tried to get an interim stop before all this all these takedowns started. And and they succeeded briefly, but um, it ended up that they they got a little bit of a pause. The matter went to an injunction and um, yeah, everything kind of kicked off from there. Yeah. And it was interesting because after that court uh, filing initially went through in August, we really did start to see more of a public shift in terms of the conversation around encampments. We Mm -hmm. saw public officials like Police Chief Dale McPhee come out for the first time and really um, be candid about the police position on where they uh, stand on camps and saying that essentially they shouldn't be tolerated. Those things aren't safe. I've been down there myself. Uh, So anybody that's saying it's safe, I mean, we just could go through some of the lists in relation to that. Obviously, the inclement weather is going to get colder. We know that. The fires, the people burning to death alive, we've seen that. I mean, the gang, the drug use down there is is tragic. The accelerants with highly flammable materials is obviously a problematic, and and just the violence, the sexual assaults, the this violent assaults, and 
So I, I think when we actually start to think about that, before we try to lay blame and blame the police, it's, it's not okay to be in that environment. It's not safe. And when it comes to those eight high-risk encampments, it really did come as a surprise to many of those frontline social agencies. I know I was getting calls being like, do you know what's happening? So it really was... Uh, sense that some of those frontline agencies were blindsided and they felt like there wasn't necessarily enough capacity mm-hmm. to handle those folks. And then when we saw that interim injunction that Paige was talking about, it really did set some conditions on how those eight encampments could be torn down. So uh, folks in the encampments needed to be given proper notice. They were actually going around and pinning eviction notices to the tents. And the city had to really sit down and make sure there was enough capacity for those people within the shelter system before they proceeded. But what's interesting now is because that uh, legal challenge is essentially over for now, uh, they're proceeding with camp removals without any kind of court oversight or any kind of constrictions on how they can proceed with those removals. We're going to focus first and foremost on the people in the encampments that need support and they need help. And, you know, honestly, I think we've taken some big steps forward with the navigation centre, the ability to work in a team, the people that are down there trying to solve a long-time complex issue. But uh, we need to do the work and we're going to continue to do the work. Yesterday's police commission meeting dominated by public outbursts over EPS's handling of encampments. Speakers say police haven't been transparent and lack compassion for unhoused Edmontonians. You make me ashamed to be Albertan. So the city, it's really interesting because if you go to their meetings and you listen to councillors talk about this, there's a lot of empathy and concern for the people living in encampments and there's a lot of a lot of discussion about the, the right way to handle this. Like, I don't think that... If you sit through their meetings, you get the impression that they don't care about these people. However, um, you know, the the agencies that that work with uh, these people that do outreach with people who are homeless, they say that the city's official policies and what they're doing in practice with these camp teardowns is is really cruel. It's unnecessary that it's it's like escalated over the years, that it's gotten um, more aggressive. And in court, it was interesting because as so... Once there was an interim injunction and they were allowed to take these camps down on right. a, you know, as long as certain criteria was met, um, that was happening. The crews were taking things down. But then we started hearing from the councillors and the mayor who were becoming increasingly concerned by what they were seeing during these takedowns. And so, you know, the injunction hearing happens and ultimately the the coalition failed to get standing to be able to to carry on with this. So, you know, police can do whatever they want. And and so the city's in court arguing that the coalition doesn't have standing, that their policies are fine and good and um, very, you know, caring towards these people. But then meanwhile, city council was considering declaring a state of emergency over the way that their own, you know, police and and the, the way the police and their own staff were carrying out these removals. And so it was just very, you know, one thing was happening in City Hall, in, in the chamber, another thing was happening in the courthouse with the legal arguments and, and trying to stand by their policy. And then in practice, what's going on out on the streets where they're actually removing people's stuff. It's sort of these three different realities trying to coexist. And it, it gets really confusing. Yeah. It, as someone who doesn't have a court brain muscle like you two do, it was fascinating to kind of watch these different stories unfold. And the city did end up declaring that emergency. What has that meant? 
So it really laid the issue sort of at the, the foot of the province in many ways. Now, mind you, the, the uh, City Hall is putting some money towards sort of emergency uh, supports. There's going to be a task force created to help manage the housing crisis. But really, uh, at least the way Sohi, um, uh, Mayor Sohi framed it was, this is a way for them to bring the federal and the provincial government more to the table to really help with these big issues that are, in the end, provincial and federal responsibilities when we talk about addictions, mental health and housing. Uh, it really shouldn't be on the city, as far as council is concerned, to fix those issues. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting to see that the difference in the public discourse and I guess in some times there's been a reluctance, it seems, for certain public officials to take ownership of what's happening on the ground. I have lived in this city for 41 years, and we had challenges around houselessness, but not to the level that we are experiencing today. And if we don't uh, put our heads together, if we don't create a table where every order of government and community is coming together, we will not be able to get a handle on this. They're keeping this moment where you would speak to government officials, whether it was provincial or city, and they would say, yes, there's tons of spaces available. And then you'd speak to either folks in encampments or those helping them and supporting them. And they'd say, there's just not enough room. There's no spaces for these folks. Do we know why that difference happened or, or who is maybe even right in that case? Yeah, I drove myself a little bit crazy <laughs> trying to report on this exact thing through December and January because what was happening was... Um, when I first looked at it, it, I was super confused. I didn't know what was going on because basically the province will say, you know, there's X number of shelter beds available in Edmonton. And then we would go to uh, the website for Homeward Trust, which is an agency that um, sort of oversees a lot of programming and keeps, tracks of, keeps track of what's available shelter-wise and, and keeps track of like how many people are homeless at Edmonton. And their number was, you know, a few hundred beds fewer than what um, was on the province's website. And then I would call, say, the mustard seed or email them and ask them, how many beds do you have available like today? And it would be, you know, half as many as were on the Homeward Trust website, which was less than was on the provinces that the province was telling us. And what I was able to figure out finally after going back and forth between all these different agencies um, was that the province is including anything that's funded um, anything that, that like w- is set to open and that they, they kind of said, oh, you know, yeah, there's going to be differences based on if like a certain facility has a closure that night or they don't have the staff for it or whatever. Like, that's not our thing. Like, this is just how many beds are funded and available in Edmonton, according to them. And Homeward Trust sort of confirmed that and said that like they do get their data from the province, but they maybe are getting more real-time information up from the service providers who, you know, are, are the only people who seemed to know, you know, how many beds were actually available in their own facilities. Right. And so it was really, yeah, confusing because that number was really critical to the court case of it all, uh, but nobody knew who was right. And, it be, yeah, it just became confusing, and, and it changes every day, you know, how many beds are available. Like it, and, yeah. and a bunch of – there's been a ton of money poured into this, so beds are opening, but it's um, – yeah, it's hard to pin down that figure. It's it's still kind of hard to fig- pin down that figure. It is. And I, I reached out to the province just late last week just to make sure we had the latest tally. Um, and of course, they, they have stood by their numbers throughout all of this, even if um, critics say that they're sort of inflating them by including things like transitional housing, which may not be 
necessarily available to that sort of walk-in traffic that we're seeing from, you know, emergency evictions or, you know, when the temperatures really turn. So in their statement to me on Friday, they said there's over 1,800 spaces available in Edmonton, and that includes more than 1,400 spaces operated by frontline partners um, and about 300 emergency transitional spaces. So they are including those transitional spaces. But as Paige mentioned, this really was at the crux of the debate. Is there enough capacity? And I think it's worth noting, too, that there's a number of reasons why somebody might choose to live in a tent. Um, a lot of the shelters in the city system are dry, so you can face a ban. You cannot necessarily enter if you're intoxicated or inebriated in some way. Some folks want to stay living with their partners. Some people have pets. And so there's a number of reasons why people might not enter shelters. And one of the biggest ones we heard is that people don't necessarily feel safer there than they do in a tent. Yeah, both of you have spent time speaking to folks directly affected by this, folks living in encampments. What did you hear from them about this experience and about their choices to live in these spaces and and what they really need? I I was out during that bitter cold snap, and I decided to head out with one of our camera people just a few days after the Chinatown camp was torn down. And we saw what happened there. The garbage trucks came in, the police came in, folks in hazmat suits came in, and they really just cleared that whole area out. And as far as I know, that camp has been there for years. So I was really interested to see, you know, there's a reason why people are there, um, what's going to happen a few days after that teardown. So I was out there maybe three, four days afterward, and you would not have known that any kind of operation had happened there. There was tents lining the sidewalk, and it was brutally cold that day. So a lot of the conversations I had with folks at that point were really just around survival. Like, how do you make it through the night when it's really that cold? But a lot of the conversation does go back to, you know, this is the way I've, I've lived for a really long time. I don't feel welcome or I don't feel safe in that shelter space. And... As we all know, uh, encampments are not new to the city of Edmonton, right? They've been part of that city landscape for a really long time. So the idea that we're going to erase them uh, in the course of a winter is really interesting to me because people are just being displaced in some cases. Not to say that no one is getting housing supports in the process of these teardowns, but a lot of people are simply taking their tarps, taking their tents and moving down the street. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the city began, it's like months long plan to end homelessness a matter of years ago or something, right? Over, like, over a decade ago, mm-hmm. I think yeah. at this point. Yeah. Since the summer, Petra Hutchings has been living in a tent in the South Edmonton area. She says they were given an eviction order from the city last week. Now, this morning, they were told to clear the site as it's private property, something she expected, but it's still overwhelming. This is so heartbreaking. Like we're people too, and they don't realize that. So, where did you spend the night last night? I was at the shelter, at the mustard seed shelter. And how long have you been staying there? For two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, I just lost my place like um, 14 days ago. Where were you staying before? On 118 95 Street, up there. Okay, I used to live in that area too. Yeah. So, was that supportive housing, or did you have an apartment? It was, it was my own apartment. Have you ever been in this situation before? This is the second time I had to, like, be homeless. I'm sorry. The um, first time it was, I was I was out here for, like, 10 years. 
sorry. It's hard, right? Yeah. It's hard to talk about. Because it's not a lifestyle you want. Paige, I mean, you spoke to folks as well, including those who aren't in these encampment situations mm-hmm. who might be choosing to camp, but outside of liqueur. Yeah. And it like f- people that are out there that are living, you know, in, in the river valley and ravines on the side of the road, um, they it's all the reasons that Wallace just said about why they maybe don't want to be in a shelter. But it's also that they don't want to be downtown because they they don't like how busy it is. Um, I spoke to people who are trying to stay sober and they don't want to be around drugs and gang activity that uh, there's just there's just a bigger volume of people downtown. There's more social disorder. We've we've heard a lot about that over over the last few years. And they don't they're, they're not happy about it either. They don't want to be around it. They want to live somewhere quiet. And, you know, to the point that, you know, this bit, there's a lot of attention on encampments this year, but people have been out there for a long time. For years, people have lived um, in very remote areas of the city, and sometimes you'll come across them and see them, and sometimes you won't. And th- there are more people out there now. It's more visible. And sometimes people are uh, the, pe- the workers that I spoke with and the people that I spoke with, sometimes they decide to set up along the side of the road where, you know, it's more likely someone's going to report the camp and get it taken down. But if they have a fire or if someone comes and is stealing from their camp, they, they're hoping someone driving by might stop, right. basically. is they, It's a safety thing. But there are also people who are very reclusive, sometimes for mental health reasons, sometimes it's just a preference, um, and they are pretty in pretty remote spots, and they really try to stay stay hidden, and they don't, they don't want to be anywhere near kind of the, the busyness of downtown. I hate to use the word effective, because it's really, it's effective according to who. But has this action been taken by EPS in the city made any difference? Has it been effective in their eyes to what they were trying to achieve? It's hard to know. As you say, it depends on who you ask, whether this is an effective strategy. Certainly, um, folks who advocate for people experiencing homelessness in Edmonton would say that this is not an effective strategy, that you are effectively displacing the problem and uprooting people and putting them at risk in the process. But if you speak to folks on the city side and the policing side of this, they said that this is the only way to address encampments, that it is the more humane option to essentially force people out of those living situations and into shelter spaces, which they argue are, as bricks and mortar uh, facilities, a safer place to be where they might access better supports. And in hearing on the policing side of it, their argument is, okay, we may be displacing some people who are victims of crime, who are just vulnerable people, but we're also disrupting the criminal element they believe is extremely embedded in most of these encampments. Yeah. And when when you talk to these people, though, and, and especially I'm thinking of the folks I talk to who are, you know, out in the West End or on the South Side, they like they also think this is inhumane. Like I talked I was out there a few like the day or two before it got very, very cold. And they were like you could see the fear on their face. They were terrified about if they were going to survive. And these people have you know, visible frostbite wounds on their face and hands. Fight last year, so it's, it gets cold for some of us that have already gotten frostbite, so... It's Anson Palmer's fourth winter living on Edmonton streets. With temperatures dropping, he and his fiancée are bracing for things to get tough. And it's, uh, it's, uh, some, it's a hard thing to do, but uh, some of us like to be out here better than uh, in shelters or something like that. The uncleanliness. Um, the places are filthy. Bed bugs and cockroaches and 
people stealing shoes off my feet. It's quieter. Uh, not a lot of stuff goes uh, missing or anything else like that. They don't think it's a good place for them to be living either. They, it's not like they want to be out there, but they do feel like it's their only option because like they they really, really don't believe they can go to shelters. So this is sort of what they're left with. And they have interesting ideas, you know, about what they think would, would be better. Like um, one guy was really keen on the idea of more of a planned encampment or opening up like a old warehouse or something where people are, where it's controlled and there's security and they can just be a little bit warmer and they can keep their camp and their belongings and stuff together, but just, you know, have a, a slightly warmer place to be than the brutal, you know, outdoors. Um, and another guy who was sleeping, you know, I think sometimes not even with a tent, like just outside a lot, he was saying that he just he just thinks, there's, thinks there needs to be more money and more programs in different parts of the cities. And he, he but he, you know, he's like, he's like, yeah, it's expensive. It's hard to get funding for everybody. But um, yeah, so they, they, like no one's happy about the, I don't think anyone's going to argue that this is a good way to live, yeah. that this is an okay way for people to be living in, in our city. But um yeah, just really, really divided on what to do about it. Yeah, and there was a lot of anger when I spoke to people. I mean, one of the women I spoke with was so frustrated. She said, yes, I'll talk to you. And then she just had to walk away because she was so angry having seen, and it wasn't even her tent. It was mm -hmm. a neighboring one's, right? She saw it torn down a few days before. And I think people who live in those situations maybe do have some of the smarter solutions about how best to help them. And I think it's an interesting question because we don't really know, I don't know how much work has been done to really understand the stories of the people that are living in those situations. I know Paige has spoken to some researchers, but I think that really is a void of information that we all have in terms of who is there, why are they there, how did they get there? Mm -hmm. um, I know there's a lot of new homeless people, there's new People yeah. li living on the streets that weren't there just a few years ago because the number of homeless people in Edmonton has skyrocketed in recent years. And so I think that is maybe an area we need to look into a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seeing more researchers, speaking to folks. And mm -hmm. people come to this situation for a number of reasons. We know one response has been the provinces set up a reception center. What has that looked like and, and is that actually making a difference right now? There's still a lot of questions about exactly what the operations are there, but it did open January 17th. It's at Hope Mission, so it's in central Edmonton. And it was essentially purpose-built, set up with the sole purpose of um, being sort of a, a reception center for people being evacuated from encampments. And as of Friday of last week, the province says about 100 people have accessed that site in total, and about half of them have been connected to shelters. Another 45 have been connected to more formal housing programs. And I did ask the province, you know, how is the, that center going to be measured? How is the success of that operation going to be measured? How long is it going to remain open? And they didn't have answers for those questions. So it is new. It's unclear how long it's going to remain operational. But to me, it does really beg the question, if they're setting up that facility and it's going to be running every day, um, there does seem to be a plan to um, make it justified in the sense that they're going to keep doing encampment teardowns. Right, and what they have I, a place to put them. And they need a place to put them. And uh, I did speak to some folks on the front line uh, late last week, just, you know, what are you hearing? Now that the lawsuit is over, it hasn't been as prominent. 
We haven't been maybe tracking it as closely because we don't know where and when they're happening. Um, and what I'm hearing is that they are continuing at this sort of relentless pace that we've seen so far this winter. And that because the lawsuit is over now and those restrictions that went along with the injunction are gone, uh, people are not getting the kind of formal notice that they were before. So this is what frontline outreach workers are saying is that basically um, police are showing up and they get handed the eviction notice and then they need to basically leave that day. And there's a real concern about the human cost of that policy as it goes forward. I want to ask both of you as folks who have been working as reporters in the city for a long time, lived in the city for a long time. Does this conversation and this reporting on this issue, does it feel different right now? Yes. How? So the story I did um, right before the cold snap where I went out to the outskirts encampments and talked to people about why they were out there, I did the same story basically when I worked at the Edmonton Journal in 2019 during this time of year, super cold snap, talking to people in remote camps, going out with outreach workers. It, you know, it, it, people were out there for many of the same reasons, like what, why they are now, but there, all of this sort of heated public debate was absent from it, and the, the removals were not as being done as aggressively at the time. And there was also, you know, half the number of homeless people in Edmonton as there are now. So there was, there was fewer camps and there's been more complaints about camps. But something that always stuck with me from that interview, one of the interviews I did that day with a worker who did outreach with that population said, you know, we've never found a deceased person in these camps. My team hasn't come across anybody who's died yet, but it's just a matter of time. I'm afraid that it's going to start happening. And this year, when I talked to that same people at the same agency, they found a number of people who've died in their camps. And that didn't used to happen. And so I think that's really troubling. And, and we've heard from, you know, the agencies that work with this population that this past year has been the deadliest ever um, because they do they do track how many people in their community die a year. And it's just the pro the the danger for this community has gotten so much worse and the, the other thing that i've i've heard from a few workers is that public empathy and sympathy is has decreased over time that this is not it, it doesn't feel edmonton doesn't feel um as as open to you know being humane with these people and in their response as, as they were five years ago is basically what I'm hearing. Even as the conversation has seemed to get louder. Than yeah. And, and of course, you know, it's not everybody. There's like a lot of people who still feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but just I've heard that, yeah, things have shifted. It's more the, the response is to be more proactive, more aggressive um, than than it was previously for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think even in the conversations we've had in our newsroom, you know, you're talking about policy and what makes uh, a camp high risk in the eyes of the city, what's happening next with the injunction. And in some ways it can feel really far away from the issue. And I think no matter where you sit on this, it's always a good reminder that in the end we're talking about people and people who are in a really bad way, right? And as Paige mentioned, no one really wants to live in an encampment, but they've been there for a really long time. And so I think it's a really good reminder just that, you know, we are talking about people at the end of the day and not policy and not court cases, right? This is Edmonton is a local podcast from CBC. And our team this week is Leslie Goldstone, just Garrett Bander, and Dave Bezier. This is Edmonton is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional gathering place of the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. 
Email us a question, comment, or story idea at thisisyeg at cbc.ca. Leave us a rating or a review wherever you download the show, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.